There is a classic movie that was filmed in 1939. It's, it's the Wizard of Oz movie. And, and if you've ever seen the Wizard of Oz, there's this, there's this uh, incredible scene in the Wizard of Oz that's, that's very famous. Uh, you know, up at the very beginning of the movie, this whole movie ha happens in black and white. Why Dor Dorothy's in Kansas and she's running around with her dog. And, and you know, and then the twister comes and takes the house up. And, and, uh, uh, and then what happens next is like the most famous thing. And hopefully we're going to be able to show this to you today. We never know if our video is going to work, but I think today we're going to take a couple minutes and watch this clip from The Wizard of Oz. I love that. See, that's like classic Hollywood cinema, you know, incredible computer graphics and, uh, <laughs> and the whole nine yards. But I think in 1939, that blew people away. Black and white to full color. There was this transition, this period where you know, black and white movies were transitioning to color movies and the, and the symbolism there for Dorothy stepping into this whole new kind of world, this transformation. Everything that she had known went sort of metaphorically from black and white now into the, uh, the land of Oz where it's in full color. And as, you, as we think about that today, I think some sort of transition like that happened on Resurrection Sunday nearly 2,000 years ago. I have this picture when the tomb broke open on Sunday morning that a light and color poured out and that this shockwave of transformation emanating from the tomb rolled across the face of the world and for the first time a new sort of life had come to the world. The world was changed. It was ready to be transformed. What was formerly black and white was now bursting through with glimpses of color. Death had been defeated. A new kind of life had begun to break through. That's what we want to talk about today. Now, I didn't take a break from our series in Acts just for Easter because the entire book of Acts is about the resurrection. You can find the resurrection anywhere in the book of Acts. And, and so we're in this series, and when we talk, think through what happened to the early church after Jesus rose and, and ascended into heaven, Jesus put the church on a mission. He put the church on a mission. The book of Acts is focused entirely upon the resurrection of Jesus. Do you notice, you'll notice whenever they talk about the gospel, whenever they talk about the good news, whenever the early church talks about the good news, they begin or somewhere in there, it talks about the centrality of the resurrection to the good news of Jesus. Now, there is a gospel that is cross-centered, a cross-centered gospel, a crucifixion-centered theology, a cross-centered theology. And the focus of this gospel is only on the cross. Jesus paid for our sins, and that's awesome, but we have to wait. This world will pass away, this theology says. So Jesus died for our sins, now we're just waiting for him to come back. The cross or crucifixion-centered theology says it doesn't really matter what we do in this world. It doesn't matter how it happens. All that matters is that Jesus died for our sins. And that is essential to the message of the gospel, the crucifixion of Jesus. Don't get me wrong. But the crucifixion without the resurrection is meaningless. There is a resurrection-focused theology that is complete the crucifixion theology, it takes that and it builds upon it. That's what we see in Acts. Jesus' death accomplished our redemption. 
But his resurrection brought new life. Everything from that moment on was changed. It was different. When we have faith in Jesus, we are resurrected with Jesus. We are bringing color to the world. We are bringing a wave of transformation to this world. And in the book of Acts, the word resurrection is used 11 times. Just about every chapter has some reference to the resurrection of the living Christ. The early church acted differently. They lived differently. They responded differently. Everything because of the resurrection. Because of the resurrection, their view on life had totally transformed. New life matters today. And that's the greatest hope. The resurrection changes everything. It changes the way we live. It changes the way we act. It changes the way we're married. It changes the way we work. It changes the way we interact with people around us. The resurrection changes everything. And I want to preach today on one word, one word from this text. It just jumps out and screams at me when I'm reading the text. And that word is found in verse 20 of Acts, Acts chapter 5. Verse 20. Look at this simple word. The word, the angels tells them, go and tell people the full message of this life. Life. That one word, the NIV translates that one word as two words. It translates it new life. The ESV and others call it this life. It's really just one word. It's the word zoe. Life. It's one word, and the reason that Luke uses it here is because the early church was struggling to have a name for themselves. They weren't called Christians yet. They called them followers of the way later on. We see that. But there is something different about the church because of the resurrection. It's a way of life. I like the NIV translation, new life. It's full color. It's something different. It's new, this one. The resurrection brings life now, today. Life is for today. So the resurrection brings us new life. The resurrection brings us new life, and that has ramifications for this new kind of life of the resurrection. And so like a good pastor, I've got three points for you today. Two last week, three today. Three points. Three things that this new life screams to us. And we see it from the rest of this text that Tim read for us this morning. A new kind of life means, first of all, a new kind of faith. A new kind of faith. All, our culture has an interesting definition of faith. People, people exchange the word faith for religion. So they say, what faith are you? Are you Buddhist? Are you Hindu? Are you Muslim? Or are you Christian? Or our culture has a view of the word faith that talks about faith in terms of maybe wishful thinking. Well, I don't know how this is going to happen, so I just toss up my hands and cross my fingers and hope, okay, God, I hope you come through. I have faith in you. That's our culture's definition of faith. This is a convenient faith. Our culture has an idea of a Jesus who's convenient a Jesus who does something for me. New life necessitates that your old life change. New life necessitates that your old life change. So in fact, we have to ditch 
our preconceived cultural ideas of faith. We have to throw them out the window. We have to embrace a new kind of faith because of a new kind of life. That's what we're doing because of the resurrection. There's a marked difference in someone who has this kind of new life. I want you to look at Acts chapter 5, verse 13. This 13 and 14 are kind of crazy verses when you think about it, okay? So <clears throat> the believers were all hanging out in the temple in this particular part called Solomon's Colonnade. If you remember, the temple was this huge complex. It wasn't just a building. The grounds were huge, and they had all kinds of outbuildings. And, and uh, the disciples, the followers of Jesus, were meeting at one of those called Solomon's Colonnade. And as they met there, verse 13 says, no one dared join them, even though they were highly regarded from all the people. And in the context of this, Ananias and Sapphira just bit the bullet, and so uh, it didn't go well for them. And in the context, it says fear uh, covered the whole world. You see, these believers were different, and they knew, and the, and the people around them knew that something was different. There was a new kind of life. No one dared join them. Nevertheless, verse 14, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. Well, wait a minute. If no one dared join them, how are we getting new people? <laughs> I mean, you just said no one dared join them, but yet we have all these people joining them. What is going on here? Those who didn't believe stayed away. Others counted the cost. You see, they recognized the truth that the gospel, while free, is costly. It's one of those paradoxes. The gospel is free. The good news of Jesus that he died in our place for our sins is free. That he rose from the dead. It's a free grace. It doesn't depend on anything we do. The gospel is free. Yet when we embrace the gospel, there's a cost. And that's why people stayed away. But those who embraced the gospel were willing. They counted the cost. And they were willing to embrace it. Jesus told his disciples earlier, he said, the gospel is costly. Take up your cross and follow me. Jesus hadn't died yet when he said that. The disciples didn't think of Jesus hanging on a cross. The disciples thought of the Romans. And what did the Romans do when they wanted to flex their muscle and keep the Jews in place? They just crucified a few of them. At one point, there's a story about the Romans who had crucified thousands of people on a road from one city to another so that everyone walked down that road, had to walk by men who were crucified, moaning and crying out in pain to remind the people to stay in their place. If anyone wants to follow me, he must take up his cross, embrace death. The gospel, while free, is costly. You get that in verse 13 and 14. People were counting the cost. They understood it. Jesus said if anyone wants to build a tower, he should calculate the cost before he starts. Otherwise, he'll get halfway done and look like an idiot with a half built tower. You see, this is a new kind of faith. It's a regenerated, sold out, all in kind of faith. This isn't a pandering gospel. The early church didn't water down the gospel. They accentuated the cost. If theirs had no value, who would do it? The gospel was free to anybody. But when we embrace the, the gospel, when we follow him, it's costly. And the people got this point. The cost of following Jesus was so high, no one just accidentally slipped into the church, the early church. He didn't wear the name without wearing the mission. 
I'll never forget the first time I went skiing. Um, I was a teenager. Um, I've never been coordinated. No one's ever accused me of being coordinated. Uh, so I was determined, though, all my friends had wanted to go skiing, and they said, Dave, come with. So we went with the group, and there was a whole bunch of us up there skiing in Minnesota somewhere. And uh, so the first thing I did is get on the bunny hill, and one of my friends got with me, and he goes, I'm going to teach you the snowplow. And so if you skied before, you understand the snowplow. And so I, I went up on this uh, small chairlift and didn't kill myself getting off. And, and I spent the entire morning on the bunny hill just trying to get the snowplow down. And finally, I made it the bunny, down the bunny hill without falling. And I thought, there's got to be more to this than the bunny hill. I, I, want, I want something more. So my buddy goes, hey, come on with me. We're going to go to the backside, and there's an intermediate hill. We'll try that one. And so it was a pretty simple hill. My friend Fred right here was with me on this trip. Uh, Fred, you didn't know you were going to make the sermon today. Oh, all the way from Chicago just for this story. And so uh, we, Fred, we go to the backside. And uh, it was a simple hill, straight. You went down, you leveled out, you went down again. So I did it. I survived. I got back in the chairlift and I said, you know what? I'm, I'm all in. I, I'm going to do this as fast as I possibly can. So got off the chairlift stood on the top of the hill, did a full tuck, and just started, now keep in mind, I don't know how to steer, I don't got anything, right? I just can go. And so I, I got going, I went down that first hill and picked up speed, and I was cruising, you know? I was a sleek, mean skiing machine, and uh, I was cruising. And I came up over that second hill, and what I didn't see is that someone had built a ski jump, right? <laughs> over the hill, and I was cruising. And so there was no, no way I'm going to change this, right? And so <laughs> I, uh, I hit that jump, and I went arms, legs, poles out, you know. <laughs> I did a Superman in the air, and I came landed on my face, and then my, my face dragged a whale on my face down, down the hill, and I laid in a clump. And then Fred, being here, this is great that you're here today. And so he comes cruising down, because he's a professional skier, you know. He comes cruising down the hill, and he does one of these turn and spray snow things. Sprays it right in my face while I'm laying on the, on the ground there. And he says, dude, that was awesome. <laughs> I'm glad. He's like, your face, you should see your face right now. And so, you know, here's the deal. I picked myself up. My ski was like, oh, the brake didn't go on. It was all the way down the hill. I hobbled down the hill. I put my ski on. I collected myself. And then I went and tried it again. Because I was all in. I didn't want to just stay in the bunny hill. I wanted to be all in. I wanted to learn how to ski. I didn't need to be the most professional skier, but I wanted to have fun. And I was all in on learning how to ski the resurrection calls us to a faith that is all in. The resurrection calls us. It cries out to us that there's something more than just pandering to a weak, hopeful faith. And I am not talking about salvation here. You have to understand because we come to Jesus with the weakest, most pitiful faith. But the resurrection calls us to live out a new kind of life. It calls us to pick ourselves up with the power of the Holy Spirit. That points later. The resurrection calls for a faith that's all in. And those people got it. They counted the cost. If I'm going to follow Jesus, I'll count the cost. I won't dare do it unless I'm all in. We see that. 
A new kind of life means a new kind of faith. A new kind of life also means a new kind of work. Could there be a greater work? Could there be a greater work than continuing the work of Jesus? That's what Jesus did. So when you read through the Gospels, it's amazing. You get these pictures of Jesus as he's living and ministering to people. And these crazy stories happen to Jesus. Like there's this one moment where Jesus is walking around healing people and everyone is glued on Jesus. Like, wow, this Jesus is awesome. We love him. He's the, you know, he's the greatest preacher of the day. Everyone wants to see Jesus because of what Jesus can do for them. And so one day Jesus is cruising along the street. The crowds are pressing in and there's this woman who desperately needs healing. And she thinks to herself, if I can just get close enough to just touch his clothing, if I could just touch his clothing, I'll be healed. And so in the midst of this crowd where all these people are pressing in on Jesus, she touches him. And she, it's, the text says that Jesus felt the power go out of him. That's awesome. I mean, it's these crazy stories of Jesus healing people. When we get to Acts, the, the church is just continuing the work of Jesus. Does this remind you of anything? Look at verse 15 and 16 again. As a result, the people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. It reminds me when Jesus said to his disciples, you'll do greater things than even these. Somehow, Peter and the apostles understood that they were to do the kinds of things that Jesus did. They were to continue the work. And so at this point, even Peter's shadow is healing people. I love this. The early church did the early church did what Jesus did. Now, you might say, well, okay, that's great, Dave, but nobody gets healed from my shadow. I mean, we have some doctors in here, maybe you guys, they get healed from your shadows, but nobody gets healed from my shadow, right? And I got a wide shadow sometimes, right? Where, where are we, where's the shadow thing? And you know, all I can say is God works how he wants to. Sometimes he works in ways that don't make sense to us, but the Luke's point is to make a connection here to the, what the apostles were doing and the continuing work of Jesus. He wants you and I to do the same thing. The resurrection means a new kind of life and a new kind of work. And the problem is that so many of us don't even understand that the primary question we're asking is, what can Jesus do for me? Now, Jesus can do a lot for you. He can save you. He can take a wretched, awful sinner like you and me, and he can transform us by the, his power. But we live in a culture where we walk around and we say, what's in it for me? What can Jesus do for me? And the disciples weren't doing this. They weren't selling posters. They weren't signing autographs. They didn't ask, what does the Jesus do for me? They said, how can I give my life away to others? The gospel should change our lives because the resurrection brings new life and new work. This is a mission. Peter could have made this about him. Okay, so I gotta be honest. If I'm walking around healing people with my shadow, I'm gonna get a big head. I mean, I just, 
that's where I'm at, okay? Just tr truthful transparency. One of the things I love about Randy and Jennifer's testimony day is we value transparency. I love that they're like not saying, hey, and now we were bad, and now our lives are all good, and we're perfect now. No, they're in the midst of this stuff. I love transparency. If I had been healing people with shadows, I would have a huge head over this deal. But Peter understood that he had a new life and a new work. Peter had a new work because of this new life. Nicholas went and grabbed my cowboy hat for me. Okay, so um, there you go. I, I got this hat um, years ago when I was a junior high pastor because we did a scavenger hunt at a mall and uh, my junior hires were doing something in this cowboy store and they broke this hat. And so the security guard came running after me. The owner of this store is ticked. And so I got to buy a hat that day. And so it's broken. There's no lining in it. <laughs> a broken hat. It's a good reminder. It's up on my shelf. I remember it every time. Now, here's the thing. I can put this hat on and no, <laughs> Richard, no taking my picture. Come on. <laughs> I see that back there. So I can put this cowboy hat on and nobody confuses me with a cowboy. Yeah, right? <laughs> Thomas preached a couple uh, weeks ago and he had all his different hats up here. Uh, not one of them was a cowboy hat that I saw. He left it at home, right? So uh, no one would confuse me for a cowboy just because I put a cowboy hat on. I'm not a cowboy. I don't really know what to even do with this hat. I think I need a horse and some rope. I don't even know what cowboys do, to be honest. Uh, I, no one would confuse me for a cowboy just because I wear this hat. They would confuse me for a cowboy if I did the kinds of things that cowboys do. You see, the resurrection brings us a new life because we do the kind of things that Jesus did. And sometimes Jesus called this, if anyone loves me, he'll obey my commands. We do the kinds of things that Jesus did because we have a new work. The disciples weren't just content wearing a resurrection hat. They wanted to be part of something more. Your life can be so much more than your personal quest to be happy. It can be so much more than that. I can't explain all the miracles, but I do know God works in strange ways. It's fun to be part of it. A life on mission brings purpose. Some of us are very confused. But life can be so much more. The resurrection not only brings us a new kind of faith, but it brings us a new kind of work. We get to participate in something that's bigger than our own personal quest for happiness. That's what really brings joy. A new kind of faith. A new kind of work. And then the last thing we see here is a new kind of power. A new kind of power. A new kind of life means a new kind of power. Look at verse 17. Then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. I mean, you know, talk about big head, right? The disciples are doing all this crazy stuff and they're filled with jealousy. So they arrested the apostles. They put them in a public jail. Now look what happens next because Luke just kind of glosses over this like it's no big deal, but I kind of think it's a big deal. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. <laughs> what? I mean, they're sitting in jail and this angel shows up and he breaks open the doors of the jail, and he says, by the way, go back where you were and keep doing what you're doing. 
He says, look. He says, go back. He opens the doors. Go, 20. Stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of new life. You know, the irony of all this, and I love it here, is that the Sadducees, who were the, now the ruling kind of lead religious group of Jews, the Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection, which explains why the church ticked them off so much, because they're talk, walking around talking about Jesus being raised from the dead. The Sadducees also didn't believe in angels. I love God's sense of humor here. Okay, you put them in jail? You don't believe in angels? I'm going to send an angel to get them out. There's a new kind of power with this new kind of life. And so many Christians don't believe that this kind of power can happen to them. You know, the, the lottery is an amazing thing to me. Uh, you know, they've sold this ma mass market to this to our culture. And so you go to the gas station and you buy a set of numbers. And you have an infinitesimal odds of winning this thing, right? And if you talk to people and you say, do you really think you can win this? Well, no. <laughs> no. But just in case, I'm going to buy one. But no, I, I don't think I can win this. Many Christians are the same way. We don't believe that anything great could happen through us. Really, when we get right down to it, those of us who have embraced Christ as our Savior think, well, great things happen to other people. Great things happen to other places. Great things happen to other workers. Great things happen to other disciples. Great things don't happen to me. The angel reminds us that God will equip us with the power of his spirit to do anything he puts in front of us. I can just imagine the disciples looking at the angel like, time out. What are you talking about? We just got thrown in jail for this. I don't have the courage or the strength to walk back out there and do it again. But they do because God gives them the courage and the strength and the power and the boldness. He provides the new power for the new life to accomplish the new work. This new life is different. It's the core it's the, who we are at the core of our being. And it, it comes out. So many of you know, uh, my dad is, has dementia, and so he's in a, uh, a nursing home. And um, this week we just called in hospice. So uh, the doctor said he maybe has about six months left. And so it's kind of a, a struggle for our family right now as we kind of wrestle with that because we love my dad. And, um, but, you know, he's sitting in this home for dementia patients. And... You know, at first glance, you go in there and you just think they're all crazy. You know, you walk in there and one guy's screaming and he wants a beer. <laughs> you know, I was like, I think I could relate to that. No, I'm mean, just kidding. He just, he goes in there. I mean, it's crazy the stuff that goes on there. And you kind of discuss, I kind of wonder sometimes, sometimes if what's truly on the inside is coming out. And so I kind of wondered how my... I just wonder with my dad, would that happen with him? Like, what's truly on the inside, once his inhibitions, once his brain can't tell him to not say certain things, kind of wondered what would come out. Like, you know, would he be cursing like a sailor? What, <laughs> what would come out of him? And, uh, you know, one of the most encouraging things to me is that the encouraging thing is that I, my dad, on a couple different occasions, just says, hey, Dave, or hey, Gwen, depending on who he's talking to, uh, you know what? Today, I got to share the gospel with everyone in this unit, and everyone in this unit came to faith in Jesus. All the workers, all the residents across the whole building. And like, <laughs> like, well, that's great, Dad. 
And I don't know, I have no idea what happened. But what I'm so encouraged by is that my dad's still trying to live by the power of the Spirit. Because he, he's been following Jesus a long time. That's part of who he is, the Spirit living in him. There's a new kind of power that comes when we follow Jesus. And we get to tap into that. We get to say, no more will I assume this kind of life is for other people. This kind of life is for me. This new life is different. This new life changes everything. So as we think about this, a new kind of faith, a new kind of work, a new kind of power, as we think about this today, I want to encourage you with these thoughts. First of all, be transformed. And this is a call to embrace the gospel. And, and, and I know some of you here on Easter, and you've got, you've got drug here by your family <laughs> or, you know, your friends. I'm so glad you're here today. Like, it just encourages my heart. Thanks for being here. And we love you, and we're so glad. And so some of you are here, but you're like, I don't really buy into this whole Jesus deal. And thanks for your honesty and your transparency. That's awesome. But I would challenge you, to wrestle with your own sin, your own mortality, your own shortcomings next to a holy God and embrace the sacrifice of Jesus and his resurrection on your behalf. I'd call you to that. Our elders are going to be standing right in the back by those two double doors back there. We're going to have a couple of them back there. After this service, if you're feeling like right now, man, God is calling me right this moment to embrace the gospel, and you want to do that, go, right, go just go to those doors afterwards. There'll be a couple of our elders there who want to pray with you and encourage you. Embrace this gospel, and then embrace the gospel work. There's this other-centered mentality that, that we embrace when we embrace the call of Christ, where we think of others before ourselves, and then embrace this victorious, resurrected power for life. So, there's a small thinking. The small thinking is black and white. It's, I've got my religion, and that's all I need. As if we had sort of like a bag where we're just stuffing things in our life in it, and we just add religion to that. There's, that's small thinking. That's black and white. Jesus wants to break open. The Holy Spirit wants to break you open into a full color transformational joy that gives our life away. Gives our life away. So, um, I am going to use this picture. Uh, my mom sent this to me. I got this last night when I was working on finishing up the message. And this apparently is a picture of a bunch of people in my family who I've never met because they're all dead now. Um, and so, somewhere up in northeast Iowa, I don't recognize any faces. I don't know any of them. My mom, uh, I think, has heard stories about some of these people, but she, she found this picture from her side of, or I think her mom's side of her family. So there's a lot of great, great grandparents for me, great, great, great grandparents in this picture. And, you know, I, I think it's cool. Some of them are smiling, you know, as I'm looking at that and as I'm looking at this group of people who I've never met. And I just sometimes wonder, did they understand? Did they understand what their family would become? Did they, did they get it? Did they live for the moment or live for something greater and bigger 
than just that. I, I wonder, did, did they live in black and white? Or did they live in full color? And of course then, it makes me ask the question, am I? Am I just living for me and for now? Or am I embracing the call, the beautiful call of the gospel to live out resurrected living? Am I doing that? Are you doing that? Let's pray as we close. Heavenly Father, we love you. Father, we thank you for sending Jesus to die. Jesus, we thank you for dying and rising from the dead. We thank you for sending your spirit. Holy Spirit, we thank you for living and indwelling in us to break off the shackles and to help us live others-centered, beautiful, gospel, new life kinds of working lives. Oh, let us embrace the call. God, for those here who don't know you, Jesus, for those who have never embraced you as their Savior, I pray that today would be the day that they would walk from old life to new life. And I pray for all those here who have done that, that today they would set foot from here confident in living out the gospel in new faith, in new work, and in new power. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.